Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bar Timaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let us picture a person. This person could be male or female, young or old. This person could be rich and powerful like the man we encountered two weeks ago in our gospel lesson. This person could be a leader in the church, perhaps even a priest. Someone who has done all the right religious stuff, but still seeks the ways of the kingdoms of the world within the church instead of seeking the ways of the kingdom of God much like the apostles James and John we encountered in our gospel lesson last week. This person could be poor and powerless without any social standing, like the son of Timaeus we meet in today's gospel. This person that we picture could be any of us. In fact, this person could be all of us as we come to the end of all that we can do and recognize that there is something more there is something that is missing, and we long for the solid food rather than milk, as we heard in our reading today from the epistle to the Hebrews. As we picture this person, see, this person goes and seeks counsel from the mystic. Here I picture the wise one sitting on the top of the mountain from the comic strip B.C., but our friend goes to the mystic and describes his situation and says, what should I do? And the mystic looks at him intently and says, pray. And our friend is a touch offended and replies, I already pray. I pray twice a day and at meals and I even sometimes watch noon prayer. How much do you want me to pray? And the mystic responds, we must pray until our will is perfectly aligned with the will of God. Despairing, our friend objects, that would take a lifetime. And the mystic turns to him and says, exactly. Feeling a bit exasperated, our friend now calls out, so how should I pray? Now, now the mystic 
begins to describe the ancient path, the path of purgation, illumination, and union. And we, as we look around, we see this path in many ways. We see the invitation to the way of purgation as Jesus looks with love upon the rich man and reveals to him the idols that he has set between himself and God. The way of purgation reveals the ways in which we seek our identity, worth, and value in anything other than the love of God, which declares us to be his beloved children. And the way of purgation invites us and challenges us to lay these idols aside. We see the invitation to the way of illumination as Jesus challenges James and John to see differently. To see that honor and glory is not found in the ways that the world measures things, but instead, the way of the Son of Man is to serve and to offer even his life that many may be free from bondage to sin and death. The way of illumination invites us to see in the light of the love of God. We see the way the invitation to the way of union with God is Bartimaeus, having laid aside all that he has and asked for the illumination to see, even though, and this is the great irony of the gospel, Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus and he says, I want to see, but he is the only one in all of the crowd among all of the disciples who sees that Jesus is the promised son of David. Perhaps Bartimaeus even sees that Jesus' throne will be the cross. This Bartimaeus, by faith, is made whole and follows Christ along the way, the way of the cross, the way of union. We might summarize this way of purgation, illumination, and union in what we call the mystery of the faith as we participate with Christ in his death, purgation, in his resurrection, illumination, and in his ascension, union with God. We might even summarize this journey in the way of atonement that's revealed to us in Leviticus, as the people of God come together for their sins to be removed, to receive once again light, and to go into the very presence of the Holy One. Purgation, illumination, and union. This same cycle of atonement that we rehearse in our Eucharistic liturgy at least three times. I can probably find it more if I look, but at least three times we rehearse this cycle of putting away sin, of receiving life, and of rejoicing in the presence of God. We begin as the summary of the law invites us to consider our idolatry, our selfishness, and our disobedience. We cry out in faith for mercy in the Kyrie, and we respond in worship with the Gloria. We rehearse the same cycle in the confession and absolution, the peace and the offering, and ultimately as we join the eternal chorus of heaven and earth in the doxology, praising the unity of the Trinity. 
And I invite you, as we come a little bit later to celebrate the liturgy of this table, to see, to listen and hear the invitations to acknowledge and set aside the ways of sin and death, to receive the gift of light and love, and to dwell in the unity of divine love. This indeed is solid food. And our friend, our friend who is seeking is impressed and encouraged by these words of the mystic, but still he wants something a bit more practical. And our mystic, never passing up an opportunity, invites us to look at the ways of prayer that we see in our readings today. He invites us to explore the prayers of lament, discernment, intercession, and surrender. Let's begin with the prayer of lament. Psalm 13 is a beautiful teacher of the way of lament. In it, we hear the basic pattern of lament as the psalmist cries out that things are not right. How long will you utterly forget me, O Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? And the psalmist then recognizes his own powerlessness to fix things and calls on God to do the things that only God can do. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes that I sleep not in death. And next comes the pause. It's not written in any of the psalms of lament, but we can feel it. It's the pause in which we wait for God to work in us and in the circumstances around us. It is in this pause that we learn to respond in faithful praise. But my trust is in your mercy and my heart is joyful in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt so lovingly with me. Indeed, I will praise the name of the Lord Most High. This is the way of lament. The way that we cry out to God, knowing that things are not right. Knowing that we are powerless to fix them and that only God can fix them. Then we ask boldly, God, now is the time for you to do your job. And then the pause as we wait for God. Sometimes, like a toddler who's going to hold his breath until he gets his way. God, you need to fix this now. <gasps> and our face turned red and we listen for God. And finally, as God speaks to our heart, we respond in faithful praise. I think lament may be the prayer that is most lacking in the church today. The prayer that the church most needs to relearn. However, if we are to lament that things are not right, we must be able to discern right from wrong, good from evil. This is the call of the prayer of discernment in the epistle. As we hear, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what is this prayer of discernment? We hear from the epistle that it is a constant practice. So we should not expect to find an easy answer. But we can find a start. 
In our epistle, we can find at least two ways to start on this way of discernment. We can bring our discernment to prayer by seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit to show us the fruit of our actions or decisions. Does our way lead to good fruit? Perhaps the fruits of the Spirit that Paul describes as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or does our way lead us to thorns and thistles, to anger, bitterness, rivalry, selfishness, or division? Our first way of discernment is to discern the fruits. Our second way of discernment is to consider the better things, the things that belong to salvation. Now let's take a moment to de-theologize this word salvation and consider it in its original meaning of being made well or being made whole. We can learn to discern by considering how we see the Holy Spirit inviting us to participate in making whole. We can ask, in this moment, in each moment, what is the need for healing? And how am I called to participate with the Holy Spirit who is already at work? We might ask more simply, what is the way of love to which we are called? The better things, the things of salvation. But before we move on from discernment, a few caveats about discernment. First, discernment is best practiced in community. Apart from community, we're apt to confuse our own voice with God's voice. And apart from community, we discern more of ourself than of God. Second, the community of discernment should be diverse in age, experience, in personality, even in desire. Diversity in the community of discernment helps us to avoid the pitfall of shallow discernment that simply declares that other people are evil and we are good. Finally, discernment requires that we listen, ready to accept God's revelation of good and evil, even when we wish that God would choose otherwise. Let God decide what is good what is evil. This is what James describes as not being double-minded when we pray, but instead seeking a mind at unity with God. So we've heard about lament from our psalm and discernment from our epistle. Let us now turn to Isaiah and be encouraged to intercession. Israel has turned from the ways of justice and truth and chosen to follow the way of selfishness, evil, and idolatry. And Isaiah writes, The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So what is this prayer of intercession? Like discernment, this could be a master class in and of itself, but we'll stick to a brief introduction. Paul assures us that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us in groanings too deep for words, and that he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
Our prayer of intercession, therefore, can begin with faith that we do not intercede alone and that we do not intercede according to our own power or even our own will. But we seek to join our prayer to the ongoing prayer of the Holy Spirit, interceding according to the will of God. Our prayer of intercession might begin like this. Because she's my wife, I'm going to pick on Jennifer and use her name. But you can substitute any name that you'd like in this prayer. Oh, good and gracious God, I know that your spirit constantly makes intercession for us. May I come into awareness of this holy prayer. May I join my voice with the voice of the Holy Spirit as we hold Jennifer in prayer. We wait. And we pray with the Spirit. And I find myself beginning, like Isaiah, to list all the things about this person that need to change. <laughs> and yet, as I continue to pray and as I surrender my prayer to the Spirit, my prayer changes to the redemption promised in Isaiah's prophecy. And ultimately, as I sit in this prayer, my prayer simplifies to something along the lines of, Lord, may Jennifer know how deeply you love her. May I know how deeply you love her, and may I see her with the eyes of love. May I know how deeply you love me, so that I may love. You know, while I know where this prayer ends, it is still a surprising gift of grace when my heart gets there. It's a surprising gift, especially as I pray not only for those that I call friends, but for those I would otherwise call enemies. You see, this is the great danger of the prayer of intercession. It will eventually deprive us Finally, we come to the lesson our gospel teaches us about the prayer of surrender. I mentioned earlier that I thought lament was the prayer that the church needed most to learn. Our brothers in the Orthodox traditions would possibly call Bartimaeus' prayer of surrender the most important prayer. We hear the fullness of this simple and powerful prayer from the mouth. Of Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This prayer of surrender is a prayer we can easily learn to say, yet it takes a lifetime to know how to pray this prayer. We might spend some time considering the mystery of the incarnation in Jesus of Nazareth. We might spend time considering the power and authority of Jesus, the promised king for the people of God, the mighty son of David. We might spend time considering the kingdom of this mighty king enthroned on earth upon the cross and in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We might spend time considering mercy. Mercy is the gift of those in authority to grant what is undeserved and unmerited. We might spend time considering our own need 
for mercy from this mighty king. We might even spend time considering the cost of this mercy. That is the cost of salvation. Yes, I said the cost of salvation. Salvation is indeed freely given, a mercy unmerited and undeserved, and yet we receive this gift at a great cost. You see, to receive healing, we must give up our wounds and brokenness. We must acknowledge our own need for healing and redemption. No longer can we take our identity or make our excuses in our wounds. No longer can Bartimaeus beg as a blind man once he can see. No longer can the rich man hide his brokenness and need behind riches and power. It is indeed costly to pray, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It can be frightening to hear Jesus answer. What do you want me to do for you? This is the same question he asks James and John as they ask to be seated at his right hand and left when he comes into glory. Will we answer like the sons of Zebedee, seeking power and prestige according to the ways of the kingdoms of this world? Or will we answer Jesus like Bartimaeus, Lord, I would see, I would see the ways of your kingdom. I would see your kingdom come. I would see with your love. Indeed, Lord, as we pray, may we have eyes that we may see and ears that we may hear and hearts that are turned to you, that we may be made whole. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.